Good morning. Um, my name's Andrew, if I haven't met you before. I'm one of the pastors here at Cedar Hill. It's great you can join us for church this morning. Uh, please keep uh, that passage from John uh, open. Also, if you have a Bible with you, it'd be great if you can flick to 1 Corinthians 15 and stick a, a piece of paper or a finger in there because we'll be spending a bit of time uh, there as well. Uh, before we begin... Um, the year is starting, as you probably are aware, and uh, one of the things that's been happening behind the scenes for us at church is we're uh, moving a lot of our uh, ministry, serving the, the, the jobs that people do on Sunday morning to kind of teams that kind of are responsible for a whole area of church life. Um, and so uh, there's quite a few uh, positions vacant uh, on our teams uh, for 2022. And so uh, if you're not currently uh, helping serve in church in some way, we'd love to have a chat with you about uh, how and where you might be able to serve. Um, you might uh, really enjoy rocking up at 10am and then leaving at about 11.30 and uh, really enjoying the experience of church here at the fire. But there's 30 people who uh, work really hard over the course of a morning uh, to make sure church happens seamlessly and smoothly. And so um, if you think you could uh, help out in, in some way to help make that um, a joy and not a burden on those who are serving, um, uh, then we'd love to know about that. You can stick that on uh, the comment card here. Just... Uh, Right on there, hey Andrew, I'm keen to talk about how I can serve at Cedar Hill this year and I'll be in touch with you. That would be great. Um, so, uh, it would be great if you can have uh, this also open. There's um, some place there for you to write your notes for the sermon and I'm going to pray and we'll get started. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us through it. Lord, we pray now as we uh, read your word together that you might uh, speak to us by your Holy Spirit that we might hear your voice, that we might be transformed by your word to have resurrection hope, because Jesus lives. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, a few years ago, Adele, my wife and I, lived in Sydney, and we lived around the corner from a spiritualist church. Do you know what a spiritualist church is? Uh, a spiritualist church is a church where um, like psychics and clairvoyants and um, those sorts of people, fortune tellers, future predictors, get together and they do their thing. They don't know, they get the Ouija board out or they channel the dead. I don't know what they do. I never went. Uh, but the, thing, the reason I knew about this spiritualist church was because it was in the newspaper. Uh, and it was in the newspaper because there, there was this fight that had erupted over who actually owned the little building that they met in. Uh, some money had gone missing from their accounts. Uh, there was a dodgy lawyer who seemed to kind of make an absolute killing in the process. Uh, eventually, a motorcycle gang emerged as the actual owners of the building, and no one quite knew how that had happened. Uh, sadly for the spiritualist church, it, it had to close. One of the members of the group was interviewed for the paper, and this is what they said. And this is my favorite quote, favorite thing I've ever read in the newspaper. They said this. They said, I know we're meant to be psychic, but none of us saw this one coming. <laughs> it's the favorite thing I've ever read in the newspaper. I know we're meant to be psychic, but none of us saw this one coming. If you know Jesus, you don't need to be psychic to know what is coming. We already know what the future holds because Jesus lives, because Jesus is alive. Uh, this is our last week in this foundation series we've been doing over January. We've looked at key core foundations of the Christian faith, core truths from the Bible that you can build your life on. We saw in the beginning that God made it. God made everything. He creates and he rules over everything. We saw that we broke it, that we sinned and rebelled against our Creator God. Last week we saw that Jesus saves, that he died in our place on the cross to save us. And this week we see that Jesus lives 
that death has been defeated, that Jesus has been resurrected, and that changes everything. You see the resurrection, you see that Jesus is alive, it shapes the future of every person in this room. And it shapes the future of every person who has ever lived. And we're going to see that this foundation, that Jesus is alive, uh, we're going to see that it is important and it makes a real difference for how we live right now. Uh, to do that, we're going to consider three things. Uh, that the resurrection happened. It was physical and historical. Uh, that the resurrection uh, is the evidence we need for Jesus' claims. And then we're going to see that the resurrection is the foundation for our own future. So firstly, uh, the resurrection happened. It was physical and historical. Uh, Now, we know that on Good Friday, Jesus was put to death, publicly crucified on a cross. It was predicted in the Old Testament. It was promised by Jesus repeatedly by himself in the Gospels. Uh, And last week, if you were here, you would have seen that as Jesus dies on that cross, Jesus saves. He was being put to death on the cross for our sins, suffering all the pain and the shame in our place. And he was doing it because he loves us. And then on Easter Sunday, a couple of days later, Jesus is alive again. And Jesus has been alive ever since. Uh, And this important foundation is an important foundation that Jesus lives. Jesus lives right now. Was dead, is now alive. Now some might say that's, that's a wonderful idea, but where is the evidence? How can we be sure that Jesus is alive? Well, when we examine the evidence fairly, and I think that everyone should, you'll find that the evidence for Jesus' physical and his historical resurrection is actually reasonably impressive. The first thing to establish is that Jesus actually died on the cross, uh, that Jesus really was dead and buried, that Jesus hadn't just kind of fallen asleep on the cross or fainted on the cross. We know that Jesus really had died. We know this because after kind of being brutally tortured, after being publicly crucified on the cross, after being hanging on the cross for nine hours, when they finally stuck a spear in his side, blood and water came out separate. Uh, the way that it would work is that the Roman soldiers, uh, they would crucify them in the morning and then towards the end of the day they would inspect the bodies to make sure they had died. Uh, if, they hadn't bro- if they hadn't died, the, what they would do is they'd break their legs to speed up the process so it would be all over and done with so they could head home for tea. Um, we read in John 19, but when, they came to Jesus and found his, that, but when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. You see, when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. These experts in killing people could tell he was already dead, so it was home time. Just to make sure, they stuck a spear in his side and out came the blood and the water separately. This only happens if you're dead. So Jesus was really dead. The second piece of evidence was the tomb really was empty. Jesus' body was definitely gone. The tomb where Jesus had been buried, everyone knew where it was. Everyone knew which hole they put Jesus in. The soldiers knew which hole it was because they were guarding it the whole time. The women knew where Jesus had been placed because they watched his body be placed in there. The disciples knew because it was one of the disciples who actually owned the tomb. But on that first Easter Sunday, nobody could find the body. They all knew which was the right tomb, but it was empty. The body was gone. So they weren't mistaken. They weren't going to the wrong tomb. The tomb was empty. 
And there's a curious fact that's been told there, that the only things that was left behind was the strips of linen that the body of Jesus had been carefully wrapped in. Linen left neatly folded in the tomb. Now, if you were going to, you know, after church, go out to a tomb to steal a body um, and it was wrapped in linen, uh, it makes no sense to unwrap the body, leave the linen behind and take the naked dead body along with you. Um, uh, it's absurd. Why was the linen folded neatly and remained in the tomb? You know, I don't think the sort of people who's, who are into kind of stealing uh, dead bodies are also kind of neat freaks. You can imagine the conversation the, the, the grave robbers had as they were about to walk out of the tomb and one of them was like, hang on a sec. We can't possibly leave this mess behind. You just hold the body there while I'm going to fold up this linen carefully before we take off. I don't think it would have happened. Jesus' body was definitely gone. The tomb was definitely empty. He was dead and buried. The tomb was empty. And the third piece of evidence that, and I think this is the most important, it was that Jesus was seen alive. Uh, The New Testament is full of personal eyewitness records that Jesus came alive. Hundreds of people saw him over the period of a month. And here it would be great if you can look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, The the words will come up on the screen if you haven't got it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's the Apostle Peter, and then to the Twelve, and then after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. As the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church, do you see what he's doing here? Paul's inviting his readers to go and check out the facts. Some of these people are still alive. You can go and talk to them. You can go and ask them. They'll tell you that Jesus was really alive. Unlike Elvis, where people just kind of have fleeting glimpses of him at the 7-Eleven, Jesus kind of stuck around. He talked, he ate meals, he had conversations. The scars were there, but he was really alive. It wasn't a spiritual resurrection, kind of he just kind of lived on in the hearts of his followers. It wasn't a mass hallucination. They just kind of all imagined that he was alive. It was physical. It was historical. He had been seen alive. The Apostle Paul is so confident of this that he's willing to bet all of Christianity on the fact that it happened. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, he says this. Uh, I don't have this slide, um, but that's all right. Um, He says this, and says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Paul is saying that if Jesus is not alive, then Christianity is a fraud that we're wasting our time. And and Paul is willing to put Christianity's head on the chopping block of the resurrection and invites anyone to come and take a swing. And here we are, 2,000 years later, Christianity is alive and well, because so is Jesus. But so what? Uh, That's the question most people in Wellington would be asking. They don't really care about the historical evidence. They would just want to know, what does it mean for me? What does it matter? Well, that Jesus is alive, it does make a difference. It does make a difference. It makes a difference because it it uh, it makes a difference because it is the evidence that proves that Jesus is who he says he was. The resurrection is evidence for Jesus' claims. It claims it's the evidence that we need for his claim that he is the Christ. The resurrection confirms that he is the Christ and it confirms that he has done what he said he has done. 
So it confirms that he is the Christ. Uh, now, as you read the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus' life, the most spectacular claim of all the claims that Jesus makes is that he claims to be the Christ, the Messiah, God's long-promised Saviour King. Hundreds of years before uh, Jesus came, uh, God's people were uh, beaten and bashed by the superpowers of the day. Uh, twice they'd been invaded. They were a mere shadow of their former glory from, from the time of the, uh, King David and King Solomon. But during those dark years, God's people they held on to a promise. A promise that God was going to send a king, that God was going to send a king who was going to come and rescue his people. And this king would come and bring peace and restoration and lead God's people back into God's blessing. And this saviour king was known as the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And Jesus claims to be the embodiment, the realisation, the fulfilment of that promise about the Christ. He claims to be God's promised saviour king. And that claim to be the Christ, it ultimately hinges on his death and his resurrection. That claim to be the Christ is vindicated by Jesus' death and resurrection. In in Mark chapter 8, Peter is the first to recognize that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And once that cat is out of the bag, Jesus begins to teach them how the Messiah is going to rescue his people. Uh, It says this in Mark chapter 8. It says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days, rise again. And that's what's happened. That's what happened, isn't it? It all took place just as Jesus said. Now, Jesus was no psychic. Uh, the resurrection wasn't God just trying to clean up the mess of the cross where things kind of all went pear-shaped. Jesus' suffering, his death, and his resurrection, it was always part of God's eternal plan. It was always part of the plan. Hundreds of years before, the prophet Isaiah spoke about God's promised Messiah and spoke about not just the Messiah coming, but his suffering and his death and even his resurrection. And here's what Isaiah, the prophet, said said, uh, in chapter 53, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. He said this, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin... He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the, Lord, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. And here it is. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Uh, hundreds of years before Jesus came, the prophet said, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. The resurrection that Jesus lives, it confirms what Jesus has said. It confirms what the prophets had said. It confirms that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior sent by God. But it also completes what Jesus has done. Last week we saw that Jesus suffered what we deserve, that he died on the cross taking the penalty for our sin and our shame and our guilt. And because Jesus is now alive... We can have confidence that that sacrifice on the cross, that that, that it was effective, that it did what it said it would do. We can have confidence that that offering was accepted by God, that our sins have actually been forgiven. Uh, Paul deals with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says in verse 17, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. What Paul is saying here is if the bones of Jesus just kind of decayed in the dust of Palestine, then the whole of Christianity is a fraud. 
If Jesus' body rotted away in the tomb, we are in serious trouble because we still sit in judgment. We still sit guilty of our sin. The debt for our sin, for our rebellion against God, it's still owed to him. Jesus hasn't actually saved us. Uh, I never know what to do with receipts. Who here keeps all the receipts? They keep them all. They don't throw any of them out. Got the spouses trying to raise the arms of the other. Um, who doesn't keep any of them? Throw them all out. Yeah, good one. I think I'm. Every time I get a receipt, I have this dilemma. I have this trend. Do I want this receipt? Will I need this receipt? At some point in the future, how likely is it that I'll need it? Is the thing that I bought likely to break, or is it going to be something that needs to be taken back? Even then, if I keep this receipt, what, is it, what, what on earth is the chance I'll ever find it again, even if I do hold on to it? But a receipt, whether I can find it or not, it is the proof of purchase, that the item has been paid for, that the payment has been made, that it has been accepted. The resurrection is the proof of purchase, proof that we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, that the debt has been paid, that the payment of Jesus' body broken for us has been accepted by God. It's the payment that confirms that Jesus is the Christ, that he has completed his saving work. We know it has been paid. We know it has been completed. We know it is confirmed because Jesus rose from the dead, because he is now alive. Jesus' death for you was acceptable by God, confirmed by Jesus' resurrection. Jesus is alive. And if Jesus is now alive, we can't simply ignore him. There are lots of dead guys in history. We don't really have to pay much attention to them. Pay much attention to them. What you think about them doesn't really matter. Uh, they're dead. They're gone. But Jesus, he's alive. He's not dead. And so to ignore him, to say he's a fraud, to offend him, well, that's to do that to someone who's living, who's, who's alive right now. But on the flip side, to praise him, to love him, to serve him, to honour him, well, he's alive, he hears, he knows, he cares. How we treat Jesus really matters because Jesus is alive. Jesus is also finally the foundation for our future. He's the foundation for our future. Uh, Because Jesus is alive, because he's been resurrected, it means that the resurrection has begun. Uh, Now, we might think Jesus rose from the dead. That's pretty special. That's pretty remarkable. It's only ever happened to one person, Jesus. Uh, But really, Jesus' resurrection is just the first of many. Uh, Last year, my brother and his wife had their first child. Uh, They were stoked. We were stoked. We can't wait to meet baby Pippa, Uh, hopefully sometime this year. Uh, Births are exciting, but births are not rare. Uh, They're not rare. I mean, everyone in this room has been born. Uh, You're not special in that regard. Sorry. Sadly, death, too, is something that is not rare. Death is tragic and is sad and is uh, terrible, but it is not uncommon. We are all, sadly, going to die. The same with resurrection. Like birth and death, resurrection is something that will happen to everyone. It will happen to all of us. 
Jesus' resurrection means that death has been defeated. But it's not just his own death that has been defeated, but all death has been defeated. Paul makes this clear again in 1 Corinthians 15. For since death came through one man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. In Christ, all will be made alive. This comparison between Adam and Christ. On the one hand, Adam sinned and brought death. On the other hand, Jesus has been raised from the dead and he brings resurrection. And this resurrection, it is for all people. But it isn't great news for all people. In John chapter 5, Jesus speaks of the resurrection to come. And Jesus says this. He says uh, in John chapter 5, verse 28, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. You see the fact that Jesus is alive, that the resurrection has happened. It brings in the age of the resurrection. All will be raised. And some will be raised to life with God. And some will be raised to condemnation. Life without God. Life without everything that is good. What we call hell. Jesus lives, which means that all will live. But the resurrection also means that Jesus is alive. It also means that we can live with resurrection hope. We can live with resurrection hope right now. Hope in this life and hope in the life to come. Uh, the Apostle Peter, when he writes to uh, Christians who are being persecuted, Christians who are living with, with feeling like they have no hope, he wrote this in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. He wrote, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Did you notice there that Peter doesn't say uh, you can have hope for the future? Uh, He says that because of the resurrection, because Jesus is alive, we are born into a living hope. A hope that is now, alive with us now. See, Peter is talking about a resurrection hope that we can take into the trenches of daily life. Resurrection hope means that we're, one of the things it means is that we're freed up from needing to find our meaning and our fulfillment and our joy and our happiness in the things of this world. Resurrection hope means that we we don't need to keep getting stuff or relationships or status or experiences in order to really live life. Those things are great, but resurrection hope tells us they are temporary and fleeting and that greater joys and greater blessings are to come. Resurrection hope, it actually frees us to be able to enjoy these things without becoming enslaved to these things. So you don't need to find your purpose and your identity in your job. So that when you lose your job or it doesn't go well, it's okay. It's only a job. Your future is secure because death has been defeated by Jesus. It means you don't have to find your meaning and your purpose and your significance in your relationships. It means that when they don't work out or when they don't turn out as your dreams, that's okay. Your meaning and your purpose and your significance is found in Jesus. And he has set you free He set you free to love and serve others rather than anxiously worrying all the time about what they think about you. You don't need to find your security in stuff, houses, cars, holidays, bank balances, KiwiSaver, whatever. Because when they break 
or wear out or run out, that's okay. Through the resurrection, Jesus has given you an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. Kept in heaven for you. So certain is our future resurrection, so certain is our future inheritance in Christ that it can transform the way that we think and live and experience the world right now. Now this all sounds lovely to have, but do you have it? Is it yours? Is it your hope? Do you have this living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus, because Jesus is alive? If not, can I urge you to come to Jesus and trust in him, trust in his death and resurrection for you and have this hope. Paul makes it really simple, really clear. In, in Romans chapter 10, he says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you say, Jesus, be my king, and he says, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you believe that there is life beyond the grave because of Jesus, then you will be saved, says Paul. That's all you have to do. Believe, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Then you will be saved. This hope can be yours. Uh, when I was in my final year at Bible college, I had an interesting experience. I, on one level, I was in a, a doctrine course and I was writing a, an essay on the resurrection. And then in my... You know, the rest of my life, I was um, having a lived experience, a live lesson of resurrection hope. And my final year of Bible college, Adele's mum was critically ill with the final stages of her fight with breast cancer. And as we visited her in the hospital each day, uh, as she fought the cancer that riddled her body, it had robbed her of so much. It had robbed her of her mobility, her ability to communicate. Uh, it had robbed her of uh, precious time with grandchildren. Uh, we could see her body was wasting away before our eyes. Every day for her was a battle. When we looked at her, we could see death doing its nasty work. But when we looked at her, we could also see resurrection hope. We could see living hope. We could see a confidence that uh, death was merely a transition, a passage through to the resurrected life. That on the other side was an eternal inheritance for her that was kept in heaven for her, that could never perish, spoil or fade. And although death was inevitable, the power and the fear of death had lost its grip. It had lost its sting. Because Jesus really is alive. He really did rise, which meant for her and for us that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the promised Savior. He is the one who has paid the penalty for our sin. He has defeated death and brought in the age of resurrection, which meant that we could live with true and real hope, hope that extends beyond the grave, hope of life eternal because Jesus is alive.